Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bandroom Podcast. My name is Dylan Maddox. And I'm Kate Nishimura. I'm laughing, Dylan, because that's my favorite. That's my favorite way that you start an episode. And before I was your co-host, I used to love when you started episodes like that when I was just a just a a listener. Just uh, yeah, a listener and like three time guest. But yes. Well, thank you. I also enjoy the welcome, welcome, welcome. And I'm just going to commit, even though I'm stealing it from Dex Shepard. But that's okay. Yeah. Because he's probably never going to listen to the band room. Um, Probably not. But yeah. But uh, speaking of other exciting things, um, (laughs) I want to do this on the intro just because I think it would be fun. Um, So Kate and I use uh, not Zoom for our interviews. We used to. Um, We've recently invested in some... Uh, fancier software. So we use uh, a, a software called uh, online software called Riverside FM, which is great and highly recommended if you're listening Riverside FM. <laughs> um, but they, <laughs> uh, it just makes it easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <We're>, uh, <coughs> sponsorship. Please. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, but anyway, it makes it really easy to, to do interviews and things like that. But recently they've come out with this new media section that I want to test out here in this intro for you. So for example, if, you know, I'm, I'm just so funny. Uh, I come up with so many jokes. Hey, uh, Kate, um, why did the chicken cross the road? Why? Uh, uh, chicken nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> Check that out. We're a, that was dr- not the answer I was hit. expecting. And B, yeah. you got the drum. <laughs> yeah. hey, 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 Kate. Hey, Kate. Hey, Kate. Hey, hey. Hey. Why hey. did the chicken cross the road? Why? To get to the other side. <laughs> oh, that's wow, right, folks. There are like <laughs> oh, if you click it again, it gets louder. Oh, no, okay, <laughs> it's like wow, that's really yeah. funny. There are some like howls in that. Like that's yeah. that's disproportionate, you know, laughter for the chicken crossing the road. But yeah, how we're fun. back. We're back live <laughs> with a with a studio audience now. There's also other things that I've always wanted. There's a couple times in the history of the band room where I've needed a a, a drum roll, and now I have it. slightly too long but that was that was good that was good and there's other fun things cheering uh there's (laughs) clapping other things like that um so just be ready uh listener for (laughs) who knows what maybe maybe we need some new jams here's some tunes oh yeah welcome to the band room And we're done. Okay. Okay. Anyway, I'm having too much fun now. This is what happens when we record an evening Pandroom podcast. Uh, And why did we record in the evening, Dylan? We recorded in the evening because we were speaking to someone from Australia. And that someone (laughs) is someone that I hope that you know. If not, I can't wait to share this episode with you because we had the great opportunity to speak with composer, educator. And as we've said three times already, all around phenomenal human being, Jody Blackshaw. Uh, I had not met Jody before, but I am a better person for it. <laughs> that was one of those conversations <laughs> that was just so, you know, life affirming. It was so energizing, yeah. and uh, I don't. I just. I'm. I'm speechless. I'm speechless. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I. Um, Jody is such an important person in my own uh, musical journey, my career, and I won't give it away 
because uh, I, I mentioned it later in the episode, but <laughs> it was so special to be able to reconnect with her and to give her a space to tell her story and share her perspectives on why she does what she does. And there are a lot of people out there who are going to benefit from hearing what she has shared today. So I'm really, really thankful uh, for her and excited for everyone to get to hear this. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as I was mentioning off recording, uh, when I think of the people that I, and I said inspired, it's not even a good enough word, when, <laughs> the people that just kind of like change you, uh, yeah. when you think of those people, it's people like her, like Cynthia Johnson Turner, mm-hmm. that are just so mm-hmm. unashamedly fighting for change and fighting for good. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it was just great. Um, but before you hear that great conversation. Um, could you consider doing us a favor? And I really, hey, yeah, you, you driving the car. That's right, you two walking <laughs> your dog. I'm talking to you. Could you consider going and leaving us a review? And, and why, why and where should people do that, Kate? <laughs> well, the why is because it really helps other people find the podcast Um, And we really want to make sure that, especially with this episode, but every episode, that as many people as possible get to listen to this. So you can go to Apple Podcasts if that's where you're listening and leave a rating, hopefully a good one, and a review Mm -hmm. as well. And if you're listening on another podcast platform, that's excellent. Please make sure that you've subscribed, downloaded, liked all that jazz um, for for the Band Room Podcast. And thank you so much to everybody who has already done that. It really is a huge help to us. Yes, absolutely. And as I've said many times, I'll remind you, you're listening to this for free. It's for free. Please, (laughs) please (laughs) go leave us a review. It would be a great help. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, as usual, the the three of us, Myself, Kate, and Jody went on to record a bonus episode. And this, oof, it was a whopper. <laughs> this is, this is, I really, well worth really needed that tonight. Oh, yeah. It made yeah. me laugh in the best way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we go, uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber, uh, part of our Patreon community, our Patreon fam, uh, you can have access to our conversation, to bon- funny bonus episodes, sometimes serious. Uh, this one was. <laughs> Well, it was both, actually. Now that a I little bit of it. both, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. All I'll say is it involves maracas and a milk <laughs> crate. There's your hint for this week. Really, it really is Ooh. worth the three bucks or whatever yeah. to um, to listen to. <laughs> and I don't have, sorry, I'm sorry, Jody. I don't have a maraca sound effect, um, but uh, maybe bad. next time. But anyway, yeah. um, so that you can hear that episode if you become a patron of the band room podcast through patreon and you can learn more about that by visiting patreon.com slash pod that's patreon.com slash pod to learn how you can have access to this fantastic bonus materials materials there's an s on the end of that so <laughs> uh, go check it out please and thanks but um I don't want to keep selling things. I just want to sell change, Kate. I want to sell improvements. Oh. We're going to change the world. <laughs> oh, actually, no, does, your, gonna... does your laugh track thing have like a, oh, <laughs> like one of those <laughs> nah, other audience is, effects? <laughs> all I got is the, the drum joke. The <laughs> That's funny. There's no boo. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, without further ado, 
here is our conversation with Jody Blackshaw. for another very special episode of the Band Room Podcast. And this week, we have a very exciting special guest joining us all the way from Australia, composer and educator and all-around amazing person, Jody Blackshaw. Jody, welcome to the Band Room. Thanks, Kate. Really great to be here. Um, it's, it's wet and raining and winter here in Australia, but it's still very, very <laughs> lovely to, to be joining you from, from down under. Oh, good. We're so glad that you're here. The weather is very, very different here. It's like hot and muggy and summer. So So in traditional band room fashion, we'll start by asking you where, why, and how did you start your musical journey? Yeah, I looked at this question and I thought, well, there's been several musical journeys, you know, that I've started, I think, throughout Mm -hmm. my life. And I don't think it's you sort of just start one. I don't think it's this linear this linear journey. I, I think it, you know, um, different things happen. My first uh, uh, instrument was uh, a boom chicka boom organ. You know, the kind with with two two mm. keyboards and pedals. And yep. <laughs> that was my first. That was my very first instrument. And I always talk about my teacher that I had uh, from about the age of five. Her name was Vicky Foster, and Vicky was the one who made me. I fell in love with her. You know, I've been very fortunate to have a range of different mentors in my life. And with her, she's that joyous music teacher who had pizza nights and <laughs> hay rides and picnics for all of her students. And she came to my house to teach me one-on-one. I cannot imagine doing that now. But she came mm. to my house to teach me. And I learned from her for many, many years. With her, I learned to read music and I developed this incredible coordination of right and left hand and foot and, you know, all, all those kind of things. But with Vicky, you know, my musical journey of I have this music mentor in my life and I think that's that part of where my journey started. Um, and then uh, Vicky got to a point where she said, I don't think I can teach you anymore. And there's, a, there's another teacher that I am recommending to you and I lived in a really little country town in the southwest of New South Wales called Griffith. It's in an area called the Riverina and um, very remote part of the world. Like uh, a lot of people in America don't appreciate that um, whilst Australia and America have about the same land size, America has approximately 320 million people and Australia has about 25 million people. Right. So right. when we say that we're in a town that's remote, there isn't another town for two or three hours. Right. You know, we, we really, really spread apart here. So, mm-hmm. um, so, but in my town, there was this remarkable organist whose name was Lois Johnson, and she lived at home with her mum and dad. But she would spend months of the year touring Europe as this famous organist who had recorded all these albums, and she had this. That, you know, multi-thousand dollar organ that had that was gifted to her by an organ company in her garage. You go out and play and it had three keyboards and two octaves of pedals and just this freak of an <laughs> wow. instrument. And, and Lois was the opposite in personality. She never had pizza nights. She never had picnics. <laughs> but Lois taught me to love the music. In fact, mm-hmm. Lois taught me to love the composer. 
Lois mm. said, yes, let's get into Gershwin. She loved Stevie Wonder. You know, she loved and she, she really appreciated the value of great harmonic progressions and, and she taught me chord extensions and she taught me about voicing um, and she taught me the importance of um, being able to take something and, and make it your own. And when I've gone back and had a look, because bless my mother, she still has all of my organ music in the stool and the same organ <laughs> nice. that I used to play in many, many years ago now, I realised, I only realised recently that Lois gave me lead sheets. I wasn't reading these big complex things. I was improvising <laughs> yeah. a lot of the time. And, and so I thought, wow, she was actually teaching me all of that jazz stuff of just taking a lead sheet and, and I was creating, but I was, I was the bass player you know, I'm I'm the rhythm guitarist and I'm also the melodic line <laughs> in that. But yeah. I really got this um, appreciation of of really well-written music and really looking into the composer behind that. So I think my musical journey, whilst I played clarinet and there was a local town band and I've had mentors in that side, I think really, you know, where, why and how did I start? It really started on that instrument. And I've since realised that my approach to composition stems right back to those many, many years of playing the organ. So that's really where my true musical journey started. Wow. wow. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I'm a real um, timbre composer, so I play a lot with tone colours. And that comes from the organ, of me sitting there with mm. headphones on, putting toggles, analogue toggles down and, and a little bit of clarinet, a little bit of flute, a little bit of this, a little bit of that and having these things blend as I'm playing around um, mm -hmm. with different harmonic structures. And that's, that's, that's who I am as a composer. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I don't think we've ever spoken with someone who started out with the organ. So this is, <laughs> this is really, yeah, well, really cool. <laughs> <laughs> when you live in a country majors. town, you don't have many options, you know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. And, and what, what led you to want uh, to, to go study music? after uh, after your kind of public school time? Uh, it was, uh, we call it year nine. You would okay. call it your freshman year of high school. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what, I'm not sure what you'd call that in Canada. Is it the freshman year of high school? What, in Canada, what it's, in just, Canada? it's just grade nine. <laughs> it's grade nine, yeah. It's just yeah. year nine yeah. in Australia. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I went to a music camp. I went to public high school and we were very lucky that in the state of New South Wales, um, public schools are really very supported by something called the Performing Arts Unit and they do a lot to bring kids from rural areas together and give them opportunities. And one of those is a music camp in the Riverina. Mm -hmm. And I went on this music camp and a new really uh, dynamic music teacher had moved into the Riverina and um, I also there was a, a boy there who was the same age as me and he came from an even more remote town than me called Hilston and his name was Shane Brown, and Shane was a child prodigy on saxophone, and he was just a freak of a player, <laughs> and I really, really seriously, um, yeah. and I'd never heard, I'd never ever heard my world. I'd just been living in this tiny little bubble of Griffith, you know, which is, you know, yeah. not very exciting. And whilst my father had played me recordings, and he was, you know, really into classical music, and and um, and I had all of that around me. What I, what I didn't have around me was that real-life experience of seeing what it was like when somebody could really play that instrument well. Mm -hmm. And we just had uh, these new lady had moved into the Riverina. Her name was Julie Croft 
and she just inspired confidence and self-belief. And I came home from that week-long music camp and had dinner with the family and then went back into my bedroom and started practising the clarinet. <laughs> and my dad came into my bedroom and said, what are you doing? You've just played for a whole week. What are you doing? <laughs> Couldn't get and enough. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I turned around and looked at him and said, I think I want to be a musician. Aww. And and he went, right. And for, from that moment on, my <laughs> mum and dad, bless them, sent me to, gave me as many opportunities as I could possibly get outside of Griffith to enable me to make music my career. Wow. Mm. Okay. That's amazing. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I remember going to my parents. I, I come from a family that's in the trades. And mm -hmm. uh, I remember <laughs> listing them possible jobs. And they just went, no, no, no. And then I mentioned music teacher. And they're like, hey, yeah, you have an aunt that's a teacher and has they have a great pension. Yeah, okay. Yeah. If only they knew. <laughs> if only they knew. <laughs> yeah. But no, that's fantastic. And um, one, one thing I, I'll, I'll, I'll mention as I segue so smoothly into the next question is that you're a very well-documented person. You've probably been on the most podcasts of any guests that we've had, actually. Um, really? So, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like maybe, maybe. Like, well, maybe, maybe it's the I, accent. They just want to hear the accent. <laughs> yeah, that, no, no, it's definitely not. But, um, but if, if, uh, if there's any uh, Jody Blackshaw fans out there, they know that you are just one of the most passionate uh, educators, first and foremost. Although, you know, you're, so many know you as a composer, but um, congrats on the new job because you're teaching at senior high school. And um, I, I was have one, jumped back in, yes. Yes, you're back, back in the, I don't want to say trenches, trenches in the most positive way. Um, but we're wondering what, what prompted your return to the classroom and how are you balancing composing and teaching? The famous balance question. <laughs> yes. I thought, how honest am I going to be here? <laughs> when I saw this question on your list, I'm how honest apart. am I going to be here? Um, it's, it's funny. It's my daughter's school. My daughter, here we are with year nine again. My daughter is in year nine and uh, here we are living. It's not, it's not, I mean, the area I'm in, there's probably 80,000 people where I am. Like it's a, it's a sizable community. Mm -hmm. And we're um, three and a half hours from Melbourne. We're six hours from Sydney, but only three hours from the nation's capital of Canberra. It is one of, for me, the one of the most beautiful parts of Australia. Um, and I love that within an hour, I can see about four different kinds of topography around me. Um, mm -hmm. There's snow, there's rolling hills, but you can be in the plains. You can be really in the flats really quickly as well. And I, I just love that. Yeah. So um, when this opportunity came up, I actually thought that it was going to be a job for just teaching year seven and eight. So our high school starts in the seventh grade. Mm -hmm. And I thought I can do that blindfolded. I could teach seven and eight blindfolded. I love the sass of middle schoolers. They seriously <laughs> are some of, my most, they, they're some of my most favourite people in the whole world. <laughs> I just love that they'll just come up and go, gee, you look really tired today, you know, or, you know, like they'll, they, no they just don't, yeah, just no feel yet. No, just don't hold back. And yeah. there's something about that that makes me feel joyous. I, I, you know, I just really, I just really love it. And the fact that they, it's so difficult for them to put chairs in a semicircle. I mean, seriously, how hard can it be? You know? But, but I thought, yeah, this would be really fun. And I could go in, I could do a bit of this. I'd met my daughter's friends at that school and I thought that I was a really good energy match because I just, mm -hmm. you know, I just really love them. Um, and uh, 
And so I uh, thought, yeah, so that's what I went in and had this interview for and thought, yep, this will be great. I can go in, do a couple of days a week, do a bit of uh, middle school teaching, have a, have a blast, have a bit of fun and then get on with some other stuff. Well, the job didn't stay that way um, and, and there was a bit of a kerfuffle and by the end of last year I actually really thought that it wasn't going to happen. I thought, that's okay, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, I, or what I wanted to do was connect with my local community. I mean, let's be honest, you know, thank you for the kind words you said before, but my community is all over the place. It's, it's mm -hmm. in America, it's in Canada, it's in different parts of Europe, it's in different parts of Asia, but it's not here. It's not mm -hmm. here where I live. Mm -hmm. And there was, there was a real disconnect in me um, uh, about that. And I thought, I thought of, went back and thought of myself as the girl in Griffith playing the <laughs> organ and trying to play the clarinet who hadn't been exposed to things. And I thought, yeah. I want the students in at least my local community to share in some of that. Mm -hmm. So um, when, when things didn't come through, basically what, in, to cut a long story short, the principal came back to me and said, um, we really need somebody to teach our 11s and 12s, you know, those mm. last final two years of high school. And I'd just been lecturing at the Australian National University. I'd been lecturing last year. And I thought, well, maybe that would be good for me. Maybe it would be really great for me to work with those upper year levels. That's a bit of a, a new thing mm -hmm. for me to do. Um, and so right now I'm teaching uh, years 10, 11, 12. I'm teaching those top, uh, top three grades. And there's a handful of instrumentalists there. I've built them up to about, there's 19. It's been a music teacher there who's been working painstakingly to have those instrumentalists available. And then right. just this last term, we've, I've just taken on that ensemble. And um, as anybody knows, stepping back, you call it the trenches, I call it the coalface, going back to the coalface. <laughs> okay. uh, it's, it's, it's for me as a composer educator, a very proud composer educator, it's really important for me to step back into that role. It's really <laughs> important for me to walk in those shoes again and remember who I'm creating products for. Um, it's because you forget. You yeah. forget about the fact that um, you arrive at school and within 30 seconds there's seven kids at your door. Oh, miss, I, I need to read. Oh, miss, my trumpet isn't working. Oh, you know, miss, I, I haven't done that assessment. You know, can I possibly get get, mm. get an extension for that? Oh, I didn't read the ass assessment properly and I did it on this instead. Is that okay? You know, and <laughs> you, you know, you haven't even sat down yet. You're still standing there with your bags at the door and you yeah. just unlock the door and, that's what, and, <laughs> and, and you just forget that it's this constant bombardment and you're everything from a counsellor to an event manager to um, a librarian to an administrator, mm -hmm. let alone trying to, be, trying to be the teacher. And your second part of that question of how am I balancing composing and teaching? Well, it's funny, you know, when I started out in the 20s, in my 20s, um, uh, I, I, I really cut my teeth as a composer by writing for my own bands by writing for mm -hmm. my own students. That's how I really cut my teeth. I'd done a composition degree, but in terms of really wrapping my head around that beast of a machine called a wind band, yeah, um, it, yeah you know, it's, uh, it, it was me writing for my own students. And yeah. I am back doing that again. You know, I'm thinking I've got this strong flute section. I've got, you know, I've got a this, I've got a that. I don't have any of those. I've got a this, I've got a that. And I am, I am back writing these pieces for them and, and um and that's fabulous that feels really yeah. good
Well, it's yeah. it's so interesting to to hear you talk now and also to hear what others say, other music educators say about your music mm-hmm. and how you really kind of understand not just <laughs> the fact that I might have a strange instrumentation or but just the the going ons of running a music program and and how your music um is very much doable um for 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 that reason because there's you know I won't name names of course um but <laughs> but composers who just they have no idea they have no idea yeah. um so it's it's really wonderful to to have your voice uh, there uh, under as an understanding yeah, voice yeah yeah i i i like to think that my music is through the eyes of the child mm-hmm. and it's not an adult perspective and it's not an adult looming down over the child saying you should know this this is important you should know this it's yeah. through the eyes of the child going, wow, that's really cool. Can I try that? You know, yeah. and, <laughs> and, and it's a really different perspective. But, you know, they can meet in the middle. You can have, you know, of course we have to mentor. Of course we have to say there are some things you need to know along, along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've walked into a department where most of the students I'm teaching don't read music or at least don't mm-hmm. read it very fluently or don't read it very well. Right. And uh, I have not only a newfound respect for the importance of a strong, what we call co-curricular, a strong band program, which is covering a lot of those nuts and bolts theoretical stuff, like mm-hmm. just just this is a scale and these are the dynamics and these are tempo markings and these are mm-hmm. like those kind of things that you just, if you had to teach that without an instrument, it's theory sheets. Mm-hmm. And man, that's boring nobody likes <laughs> yeah. a theory sheet much more fun to learn on an instrument <laughs> yeah 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 that's like opening up a box of chocolates and it's just all broccoli I mean you know really seriously you know there's there's just no fun there at all so I um, love broccoli <laughs> yeah oh yeah I love it too but oh come on it doesn't compare to a box of chocolates oh I know <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> well and and speaking of blending the two um you know, aspects of, of what you do, uh, your resource teaching performance through composition is, is something that we'd really love to hear about. So why is it important that we as educators are giving our students the opportunity to create? I was so thrilled when I saw this question. I thought, wow, they even know about that resource. That's so fantastic (laughs) that they even know about it. Um, I am so proud of this resource. I'm so proud of it. It actually scares me a bit to be perfectly honest with you, because of how powerful it is, because of how powerful it is in, in the classroom and, and, in your, and in your ensemble. What I love about it is you can use it in general music, you can use it in ensembles, you can use it in small ensembles, large ensembles, you can break your large ensemble into chamber groups, you can, you know, but kids can also work <clears throat> with these resources on their own in you know, in a COVID style, you know, uh, mm-hmm. teaching environment with 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 a with a DAW platform, and they yeah. they can still create something with this. So we we have tried every, you know nearly every different kinds of teaching situation that COVID has thrown us thrown at us mm-hmm. with this resource, and it's worked. So mm-hmm. um, so why you know why why is it important? There's there's a couple of really big answers to this, and um, one is about being educationally um, nutrient dense is the best term that I've got for it and really making sure that every minute you've got them that you are doing something that's really nutrient dense and is really firing their imagination and that mm-hmm. it doesn't just become something 
which are neuroscientists call uh, repetition suppression. I've been to so many band rehearsals where the kids are switched off and that's mm -hmm. because they do the same routine of learning in every band rehearsal, every lesson, every day. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to sit here and we're going to play these scales and they're going to tell me, you know, that this note's a bit sharp here and this note's a bit flat here and then we're going to play these chorales. <laughs> I'm going to play the same old sound. And, you know, I'm going to be the third clarinet player that's sitting there and I'm going to hear the person next to me and the person maybe behind me and I'm actually not going to hear anything else. I'm not going to be aware of anything else that's actually going on in the room and then, you know, and then I'm just going to pack up my instrument and I'm going to go home. And then by the end of the eighth grade, they're going to go, well, why keep doing that? It's just the same thing. Um, I use the analogy of um, say you did a cooking class for the three years of middle school and say all you did was chop onions. All, the only skill you learned over three years was to chop onion. Yeah. In the first Lots year, you, yeah, you, you learn what an onion is. You, you learn maybe how to top and tail it. And, and you learn how to, how to quarter it, you know, okay, great. In the second year, you learn how to dice it, you know, and then in the third year, you learn how to julienne it and you actually learn different cutting techniques so you don't ball your eyes out every time you cut an onion. <laughs> you are whiz-bang at, at cutting an onion by the end of the eighth grade, but as far as you're concerned, that's what cooking is. You know, you haven't yeah. learned to cook. And now let's think about tenor saxophone parts in middle school charts. Let's think about what that tennis saxophone kid gets to play. They are lumbered. I can see you're laughing, Kate. They are lumbered <laughs> with, and I, you know, I say uh. this in all due respect, but I want composers everywhere to hear this because, gosh, we've yes. got to do something about this. Those tennis saxophone kids are playing, and bassoon kids, let's be honest. No mm -hmm. wonder nobody mm -hmm. plays bassoon. Why would you? Yep. Parts are so boring <laughs> on a dexterous woodwind instrument, same as a tennis yep. saxophone. They're lumbered with trombones. They're lumbered, you know, uh, in that same kind of voicing. They're given da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da in nearly every chart, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, okay, they can play that rhythm really well. Well, that's, that's year one. And then in the second year they might get something and then in the third year there might be something. But all they're doing is learning to play in the tenor voicing. They're learning to play a harmonic line in the tenor voicing and they walk out and go, well, what the hell was that all about? Why am I playing the tenor saxophone? <laughs> you know, yeah. they probably don't even know what a melody is. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. let, let's, be re let's be really honest. So um, that's one really big reason uh, why mm -hmm. I've cre I create the resources that I do. It's, it's so important to give every child the opportunity to play every part. Let's, mm -hmm. you know, let's be the melody. Let's be the accompaniments. Let, let's be a rhythmic ostinato. Let's be a this. Let's be a that. And now let's play around with it. What can yeah. we do? Here are these building blocks. Do you want to build a tower or are you going to build a bridge? Or maybe you're going to build a garden. Or maybe you're going to build a person. Or maybe you're going to, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't know, build a kid chopping onions. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, whatever you're going to do with those building blocks, you get to do it. You yeah. get to make the decisions. You get to call the shots. And that's what teaching performance through composition is all about. Um, the students, it's all based on um, uh, an idea in education by uh, Arthur Whitehead, which is you've got the skill set, you've got the context, and you've got the romance. Don't you love that word, romance? Yeah. <laughs> romance is just playing around. Yeah. And the skill set, it says, what key are we in? And it gives the whole scale. So say, what key are we in? We're in concert B flat. Here's the scale. But what notes do we need to know to play the melody? Oh, we actually only need to know four notes out of that scale. 
but mm -hmm. we're using the vocabulary of key signature, scale. We're using all of that skill set stuff that's so important for us to establish. But hey, it doesn't matter if you can't play all the notes of the scale. You only need to know these notes. All right, and if you're not sure of a note, ask the person next to you. They can probably help. And if you don't, and if they don't know, let's research it and find out. Let's discover. And then here's the melody. And everybody teaches their melodies differently, so I'm not going to, you know, tell a teacher how to teach. But here's yeah. a melody line. Here's an accompaniment line. As you get more and more complex, here's a bass line. Here's here's um, a counter melody. Here's inner workings. Hey, in this one, the round can be put. Um, the melody can be put into a round. Or in this one, you can actually do it in duets. You can do it in trios. And then you give them structural building blocks. So say this material is eight measures long. Say it's just eight measures long. So then you say, let's play it as tutti. Everyone plays the melody tutti, eight measures long. Great, okay. So now let's play it as a soli. Uh, clarinets, you're going to be the solo group. You're just going to play. Great, okay, now tutti again. Boom. You've got a ternary form performance that goes for 36 seconds. Um, and, and, and they've just played something. But then you can start from there with this material. In the piece that first started teaching performance through composition, um, it's called 13 Moons and it has four mm -hmm. movements of material in it. The first is concert B-flat, range of a sixth, and has melodies and counter melodies and, but is, you know, all pretty much, you know, it's a harmonised melody. As you go around, it becomes more complex. The last set of material, 13 Moons West, is whole tone scales. And it mm. talks about leap motive and it talks about graphic scores. Now, that material, if you think of our 36 second model of Tutti, Soli Tutti, it can go all the way through to what the University of British Columbia Concert Winds have just done. And they made an 18 minute major work out of the material from 13 Moons West. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, and they, cre and they had composition students writing some of their own material. Somebody else wrote a, a chorale to go with it. They had their right. whole story. It was related to environment, Indigenous concerns, tolerance, social tolerance, connect connection, connectivity, and that's how far you can take this kind of thing. So when you think of the skill set, the context and the romance, those three big pillars of education that are so important, not only can they read a melody, not only do they get to at times write their own melody, um, they've got counter melodies, they're developing that musical independence, all that rich, beautiful skill set stuff, but they get to romance it. In other words, they get to play around with it. Let's try this. Oh, it doesn't work. Let's try this. Oh, that sounds awesome. Let's try this. We get to play with voicings. We get to play with all this nitty gritty stuff that's usually completely decided for us by composers. So they get to get their head right in inside of that. And then the most important thing, and you know this more than most composers, Kate, is how important it is that the piece has a why, that the piece has a purpose, that the piece mm -hmm. says something, that the piece has a, a reason for existence. Why am mm -hmm. I going to spend the next six minutes of my life listening to this? You know, you know, real. Why am I going to spend the next six months of my life rehearsing this with my students? There's mm -hmm. got to be payoff. There's got to be a reason to invest in that. And mm -hmm. with this, the context for the students is that they get to give it the why. They get to say what it's going to be about. They get to choose. And it's just remarkable what comes to the surface and what's important to them and all their social justice concerns, their climate concerns, all this stuff that, you know, where their voice doesn't get to be heard, here's an opportunity yeah. for it to be heard. And 
you know, it's 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 so incredibly important that we keep this, um, we keep their voices uh, relevant in mm-hmm. in our educational settings. And if we just keep playing music that we've decided is good for them and give it to them to play, then they never ever get to choose not only what the music is, what it means to them. You know, they could go through their whole life and it never means anything to them. They could never mm-hmm. have that moment. Um, but they also don't ever get to be creative as they sit in that band environment. They never get to share their creative idea. Mm-hmm. And yeah. for me, that would be absolutely tragic if that happened in your band program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Amen. Oh, my God. What strikes me about all of that, too, is is just how empowering it is for mm. students to be able to make choices. And that you have created an opportunity for teachers, educators to feel empowered, to allow their students to feel empowered. That's that's a really, really beautiful and powerful cycle, I think, Mm. that has been created through this resource and through you. So we we will make sure uh, to include a link to this uh, in our episode notes so that listeners can go and check it out. But thank you so much for, for telling us about it and for creating it. Oh, no, that's great. Look, I just want listeners to know that book one is all non-melodic. It's a whole bunch of rhythmic stuff and you can just literally do bucket drumming with them with it or chair, or chair and stick, like bang, right. bang sticks. Amazing, with, yeah. Um, and then all those rhythms in book one, I then add pitch to them in book two. So mm-hmm. book one, number one, is this rhythm and book, and book two, number one, is that rhythm with three notes in concert B-flat. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so what we do is we take it's it's a journey. You can be taking your real beginners on, or you can you can snatch and grab. But by the time mm-hmm. we get to book four, which isn't out yet because I've been busy teaching in a school, but it <laughs> will be out. Um, but like the last one in book four is there's a lot of improvisation. There's a lot of input from students, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's an opportunity to really build. Uh, something in a, um, in a in a growth mindset where I give the beginning of cells of sound and the idea of how you can grow and expand those cells of sound and create your own variations on those cells and then it's up to the ensemble to really take that on their own journey and decide what it, where it's going to go right so yeah. fantastic yeah I was <laughs> I was thinking uh, just so much of that resonated with me um, and, you know in my experience as a student but also now as as an educator. And, um, I, I, <laughs> I was thinking before I was teaching, I worked as a freelance musician and, and, and how many times does, you know, the Toronto symphony call and go, all right, this is Dave Kent. Uh, can you play an F concert scale? And we go, yeah, I can yeah. play an F concert scale. Can you play it fast? Yeah, I can yeah. play it fast. <laughs> so the stuff that we prepare our students for <laughs> often isn't very realistic to what we're actually doing. But to to think about all of the really important concepts that we think come from a traditional traditional band education that are coming from just that that resource, you know, listening to blend, coming up with ideas, all of these things. It's just so amazing. And and uh, and Pete Meekin talked about it uh, on the podcast uh, at the right at the beginning of this whole. Um, pandemic about how the you know composition is going to be the answer for many people during the pandemic, and you yeah. mentioned it right at the beginning of when you began to speak. So it's yeah, I'm all pumped up. Pretty much every episode I get yeah, pumped yeah, up, yeah. but especially now, yeah, I'm especially. yeah, yeah. It's it's been uh, it's been great to see what people have have done, particularly with the Thirteen Moons um, resource. That that's also mm-hmm. a, a teaching a performance through composition resource, but. 
just just to see what they've come up with and how people have used it. People have used it in festivals. People have used yeah. it uh, in all sorts of different contexts. And what I really love is that it actually um, incites creativity in the band director. Mm-hmm. They get thinking creatively again. And it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot that I can think this way. I forgot that it yeah. can be this way. And yeah. and then then that, you know, it feeds each other and becomes a really positive cycle. So it's good. Well, yeah, it's just it's so often we're, we're obsessed with, you know, louder, faster, higher. But often it's, yeah. it's curiosity, I think, is probably my mm. favorite word that I would try to instill mm-hmm. in everyone. And, and it's that exactly what you're doing. And da 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 bow 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 Dylan, what are you doing? Well, it, it's just so funny how often I get your piece chasing sunlight stuck in my head. <laughs> well, it's pretty good singing. That makes me so happy. And I'm so thankful that this piece has become a favorite for so many people after winning a very special award from the Canadian Band Association. And now it's time to find the next winning piece. If you're an emerging composer in Canada, you could be the next winner of the Canadian Band Association's Howard Cable Memorial Prize in Composition. The CBA is looking for submissions of original, unpublished works for concert band at or below the grade three level. The composer of the winning work will receive a $1,000 cash prize and join a long list of fantastic past winners, including our very own Kate Nishimura. That's right. And even if you're not a composer, there is still a way to get involved with this awesome project. If you're interested in supporting the creation of new Canadian band pieces, you can join the consortium. Consortium members are the first to receive the score and parts for the winning work. They have access to all the submissions and even have a voice in determining the winning composer. Membership is open to any performing ensemble, even if you're not in Canada, including high schools, universities, community bands, honor bands, and more. To learn more about the Howard Cable Memorial Prize in Composition, visit the Canadian Band Association's website, canadianband.org. Speaking of curiosity, <laughs> we've had uh, so many. Oh, yeah, I'm a master of segues, Jody. If, if you learn one thing today, that's what it will be. I just shake my um, head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well, as long as you say, anyway, never mind. Um, uh, we, we've, uh, we've been uh, very grateful to have many, not all at once, but we've almost had all of the authors of The Horizon Leans Forward on the podcast, which mm. has been really fantastic. And now we can check off another one, Kate. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we were wondering, Jody, if you could uh, speak about your contributions to, to this book and also why is, the, why is the book important? Why should people get their hands on that? Um, yeah, talking about the authors of that book, gosh, they are a very special group of people and really mm. magical things happen when we all get together. It's um, there, There's something very spectacular about the energy that we have and and the and I think for me personally um, why is the book important what for me it really shows is that every author in that book comes at the the equality idea from a different perspective mm-hmm. and everybody is coming at it from from a different angle but all mm-hmm. with the same purpose 
And so when you read that book, you might really resonate with one chapter and go, yeah, that's totally, you know, where I'm coming from. But then you might be opened up and go, wow, I didn't realise I was blindsided to that or I was blindsided to that or I didn't actually really think yeah. about that person's perspective. And I think there is, it, it's such such an, uh, an enormous thing but it's also a very small and very simple thing. It's just love each other for who mm-hmm. they are. You know, that, yeah. that's the simplicity of what it is. And working with the, the, the team of authors Gosh, there's so much love for each other and, and we all keep saying every time we get together I learn something and I learn something from each other. And yeah. if we're feeling that as authors, imagine how you're going to feel reading that book. You know, yeah. that's, um, I know for us uh, it was a very powerful and for some very personal and very difficult thing to, to contribute um, and I know that we were all second-guessing about uh, are we really going to do this how, you know, um, we're all reading each other's chapters and <laughs> and that kind of thing. But I think that really showed just how much we all really cared about our content. Yeah. So so my content is is very different to the other chapters where a lot of the other chapters tell stories and tell, share stories and experiences that are extremely eye-opening and mm. in some cases very uplifting and in some cases extremely heartbreaking. Um, and they're shared so that we hope that they, that will never happen again. Um, for me personally, it's we've just been talking about teaching performance through composition, and it's so fantastic that you know you are both st- you know sitting there and and celebrating this idea. I can tell you that it hasn't always been the case, and I've been teaching like this since the early 1990s. This is just mm-hmm. this is how naturally it was for me to teach this way, and my pedagogy, my approach, this whole approach of having the child front and center of doing things through the eyes of the child, of being kind to the child, of being mm-hmm. a bit lenient when we need to be lenient, or not mm-hmm. fussing over the assessments so much and not making the assessment something that tricks them and, and causes them to f- fail and stumble but is something that celebrates what we've just done. Mm-hmm. That's my approach to assessment. And I can tell you that's not easy to do, even in 2021 mm-hmm. in our current schooling systems. So um, my chapter is very much all about thinking about music composers and your students as being their own little world of, of diversity. And, and that comes from my PhD study where I, we talked about me playing the organ. I discovered that I was a, a, a colour-first composer, a, a timbre-first composer. I don't have synesthesia but I very much think in tone colours and tone colour blends, which is why a lot of my music for band sounds different to a lot of other people's because I don't mm-hmm. follow the tried and true formula. I've right. played around with lots of different colours because that's my angle, that's my thing. And then I started realising as I researched that that there are rhythm-first composers, that there are melody-first composers, that there are harmony-first composers and texture-first composers. When you start thinking of Percy Granger as a texture-first composer and you start listening to his music again and you mm-hmm. start going, yes, he's, he's doing it through harmony and through melodic variation, but what he's really doing is playing with texture. 
and you suddenly go, wow, I just hear a completely different Percy Granger. Oh, my gosh, I didn't even know that was there. Oh, my gosh. You know, and so it became really exciting to me that, you know, I spoke to Kevin Day and he's rhythm first and you can hear mm-hmm. it in his music. Mm-hmm. You can totally hear it in his music. And I spoke to Kate and, you know, about being harmony first and, you know, you, you read all this stuff about Bach and it was more students of Bach who documented that Bach started, you know, with his with his bass line and, and his harmonies grew from there and mm-hmm. that, that's where, where he had. There's a, um, a PhD thesis on John Mackey and John Mackey says in that interview that he starts with tune and rhythm but, you know, rhythm is one of the most important things that he starts yep. with. Mm-hmm. John Mackey says he can't keep melodies in his head yet Beethoven would wander around for months and months and months with melodic lines going through his mm-hmm. head before he would write anything down. Does that make Beethoven better than John Mackey? Absolutely not. You know, totally not. They're just different. So what do we do as educators when it comes to composition in the classroom? We say, write a melody. You know, so guess what? What if you've got a classroom full of rhythm kids? (laughs) What, you know, what if you've got a classroom full of um, uh, soundscapers and, and people who want to, you know, play with textures and colors? What if you've got a classroom full of kids who are real harmony first and they can they can pull a melody from there but they, they want to play around with those harmonies. Mm-hmm. So um, we're making students feel stupid by saying composition is melody. Mm-hmm. And what we're also saying to a lot of band students by playing music that is predominantly melody and harmony first because let's be honest, a lot of our junior band music is written in that model um, if we don't have colour first stuff, if we don't have rhythm first stuff, if we don't have texture first stuff, then mm-hmm. a lot of those kids, we're missing them. Yeah. We're just not connecting with them because they don't get it. This music doesn't mean anything to me, you know. I've got a student in my Year 12 class who is texture. He is all over texture, one of the most misunderstood students in the school, I think. But he is, a, he is a texture dude. And I can tell you, I've got these plush, nushy blankets in my classroom so that if kids are just having one of those fragile days, they can just wrap themselves yeah. in a classroom, in a, in a blanket. I and just feel right a, Yeah, 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 just, just feel a little <laughs> bit secure. And when he's wrapped in a blanket, I get more answers from him in my classes than I do when he's not in a blanket. And he sits there and just, and just plays with the texture of the blanket. Mm-hmm. So it comes out physically for him, but everything he hears in the music is texture. Yeah. And so, so if, if we're playing these marches or, you know, whatever it is that, you know, overture to, I don't know, I don't know, overture to the, to the Grand <laughs> Unicorn Canyon or whatever they want, we want to call it, <laughs> um, you know, um, then, yes, we, we're appealing to all the melody first people, but we may be appealing a little bit to some, some people who hear bass lines or hear a bit of harmony, um, but we'll lose them if the harmony becomes too repetitive. And then if, if there's no change in colour because that tennis axe kid, he's just sitting there in the tenor <laughs> voicing, if there's no change in colour, then we lose all the colour kids as well. Mm-hmm. So um, my whole chapter in The Horizon Leans Forward is all about identifying that. It's also about defining what we mean by diverse, diverse repertoire defining what we mean by diverse composer, uh, a diverse composer, and that's just my stab at it and I kind of see that as maybe that's a baseline and let's let's grow the conversation from there Um, because it is so much more than just our genetic makeup. 
Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's also, and what for me, it's a, it's a real equaliser. Look, there's Kevin Day and there's John Mackey and they're both rhythm first. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. There's Kate Nishimura and J.S. Bark and they're both harmony first. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. There's Percy Granger and there's Alex Shapiro and they're both texture first. Yeah. Woo-woo, you know. Um, it really makes us think differently about how we program, how we think about what repertoire we're going to do and are we really reaching into that and reaching every musician. Let's make these diverse repertoire choices about the music. Let's make sure that we keep it about the music. Yes, we want to make sure we're representing different people, different cultures, that the composers look like our students. Yes, all of that is incredibly important. But it's also important that we appeal to the the music thinker and that we are making sure that we are really harnessing that musical thinker. Yeah. Sorry, bit of a soapbox moment for me. Oh, no, I'm very that's okay. oh no, that's that's <laughs> yeah. fantastic. I can feel the passion from around the world yeah. through yeah. the computer. <laughs> and I'm I'm very glad that that book is actually required reading next year for my DMA. So great, all, all of great. us will be that's reading fantastic. it at the ASU Conducting Studio. <laughs> yeah, that's. Amazing. I don't think any of us ever thought when we were putting it together that it would ever become something like that. Yeah, you know that that yeah. people would say this is required reading. Mm-hmm. No, it's um, yeah. But, I'm so yeah. excited. It's mm. just Excellent. it's just a collection of such important perspectives and unique perspectives that really it's about time um, that that people mm. start to uh, to think in these ways and to be more mm. mindful and aware of of these things. So yeah, I think it's it's amazing. Not to mention yeah. the bibliography in the back. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that too yeah. is a resource in itself. So, yeah. so great that that is there and yeah. so great that it actually has a bit of an annotation about each piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not just a name and uh, an orientation, mm-hmm. you know, not the name of a work and an orientation, yeah. um, but, that it, but that it's starting to make the music important too. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, really for good. sure. So I won't do any um, amazing segue here like Dylan amazing. does. But I just put a little, pivot I put a little three bit words here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so no. Jody, you've written a number of works inspired by stories from various indigenous peoples around the world, uh, and your your piece "Peace Dancer" is one mm-hmm. from Canadian First First Nations author Roy Henry Vickers of the Squamish Nation. We would love to hear about the origins of Peace Dancer, but also about your perspective on the importance of composers and conductors collaborating respectfully with their local Indigenous communities. I love that you put the word respectfully in there, Kate. That's, that's the number one word. Uh, these, these people are very, very broken people. They're, they're really hurting and um, uh, it's just going to take centuries to rebuild that trust. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't start. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. Um, I want to tell you about my, my grandma because she's an important reason why this perspective is so important to me. Um, her name was Edna and I'm Jody Edna. Uh, there we go. The whole world knows that now. <laughs> and, um, Edna was an extremely passionate educator who in 1929 got on a boat from a rather privileged situation in Sydney 
she'd done her primary school teaching and she was out teaching. And after a year, she went, is this it? Really? Is, <laughs> is this it? I, I think I need more than this. So she took a job as a missionary in a school in the Torres Strait. Now, if you go right to the pointy bit in Australia, that's the tip mm -hmm. of Queensland. And then above that, we have Papua New Guinea. And in, in between and in around there is the Torres Strait and the Torres Strait Islands. And on an island there, my grandmother went to teach at a missionary school. And uh, she went from this very privileged position uh, in Sydney to living in a hut on an island. They taught her to spearfish so she could catch her own dinner. She um, had a number of girls uh, living there from, from around the area to get an education. And uh, she realised firsthand just how disadvantaged our First Nations people were in Australia because of their lack of education in terms of if they were, you know, they had been assimilated. You know, there, there's no, no other word for it. They, their culture, their everything had been assimilated. They had been assimilated. Um, yeah. The British may as well have been the Borg when they came, if you know Star Trek, and they came into Australia and they really did. They assimilated the, the First yeah. Nations people. It's just, it's awful. When you think of it like that, you go, whoa, okay, that's, that's really um, what happened. And uh, Grandma, she, she saw that firsthand. And so after two years, the money ran out and she had to come back and she said, okay, if I'm going to come back, then I want to teach in an Aboriginal school for girls. So she went to a, a town called Kudamundra, which is not too far from, from where I am, only about an hour and a half from where I am. And she went to this school and it was a, ter you know, it was a terrible place. It's basically uh, where a lot of stolen generation girls had been brought to, to this school and they were basically being taught to be maids for privileged white people. That's what these Indigenous girls were being taught to be. Uh, and Grandma was outraged that this was happening and at that point in Australia's history, so we're talking 1931, around that time, uh, it was only legal to educate Indigenous children up till the fourth grade. They, it, it was actually illegal to educate them beyond the fourth grade. So right. they were keeping them dumb. You know, they were keeping them. At this point, we had a white Australia policy. You know, it was really disgraceful. Australia mm -hmm. is not, not, not innocent in these, these, in, in these uh, topics. Yeah. So... Grandma taught the girls up to like a leaving certificate age, you know, secretly, so they could go back to their communities and give them literacy. She or her big catch cry was education is the answer. They need to at least be able to communicate in the language of the white oppressor so that they mm. can start to get by in society. Mm. That's got to be step one. They've got to be yeah. able to read and write in English. Otherwise, they can't go anywhere. Then grandma, for the rest of her life, um, was involved in trying to gain equality for our Indigenous citizens um, uh, through the, the 67 referendum uh, that actually counted Indigenous people as, our, uh, as Australian citizens. Up until that point, they weren't counted as, as Australian citizens. This is after the British came in 1788, so nearly 200 years. It was nearly, you know, um, two centuries that... Um, it had been uh, where they just weren't even counted as people. You know, God, how disgraceful yeah. is that? Yeah. So um, 
So I grew up with a grandma who was not afraid to stand up and fight, not, a sta not afraid to stand up and say what nobody else wanted to hear. Um, and I guess when this commission came through from the University of British Columbia to do something um, for, for a number of band directors from Canada, I was introduced to the First Nations education principles um, and I read through these uh, principles and was just in love with them. I just totally fell in love with them, particularly the idea of mentoring. I really love this concept that, that what, what we have this disconnect in our communities and let's be honest, we do, um, that, that we don't uh, develop this mentoring in our education systems and it was such a, a big part of Canadian uh, First Peoples ideas. So. Uh, I developed this whole matrix, education matrix, to go through with these pieces. And one of those pieces was 13 Moons that we talked about earlier mm -hmm. that was created as part of that commission. Another piece was called Lessons from Mother Earth that I haven't released at this point because I'm still not quite happy with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the, the final work was Peace Dancer. And um, it comes from this really incredibly beautiful book by Roy Henry Vickers, and uh, it really talks about the fact that these children are uh, not very kind to a bird, they damage a bird, and the, the village doesn't know that the children have done this and the gods become very angry and they, um, they decide that they're going to um, uh, sort of, you know, punish, punish, punish the villagers. Mm -hmm. So it starts to rain. And it starts to rain so long and so heavily that they're all flooded out of their village, they're in their boats, and all the birds start falling from the sky because the rain is so heavy. And in the dance, Roy Henry Vickers told me that, um, uh, that yeah, the, the, the peace dancer, you know, the person in, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the nation who is, is referred to as the peace dancer in Squamish Nation, they have this big coat of feathers and they dance around and... Um, they're, they're emulating these birds falling from the sky. And uh, in the book it says, you know, um, that, that one of the elders wakes up and says, I've had a vision, I've realised why the gods are so angry. It's because we've not taught our children love and respect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you think about that story and, 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 you know, and from there the villagers go, oh, you know, we're, we're so very sorry, we're so very sorry, and they have to humbly limp forward and it finally stops raining and they have to rebuild their lives. So it's not a big, you know, glorious aha, angels in the sky kind of moment. It's a moment of, oh, my God, what have I done? You know, what? Oh, and that's my fault. You know, I let that happen on my watch. Yeah. It's that kind of moment. So I could have written a piece with, you know, storms and birds and, you know, well, you know, it could have been, you know, this, you know, this kind of thing. And, but it wasn't until I saw that line after a great deal of mind mapping and a great deal of, of working on it, I realised, no, actually this is about this quiet little moment. So the original piece was actually written for flute and guitar. So okay. it was just a really simple little piece for flute and guitar and then I took the material from that and turned it into this uh, work, Peace Dancer, that I'm, I'm extremely proud of it. I think it's my favourite thing that I've ever written. Oh. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I know from experience it's hard to, uh, to pick a favourite piece of mm -hmm. your own. Um, so it's, I, I think it's a big deal for you to um, feel that way about this work. 
if anybody asks me if I'm going to listen to something of yours, what should I listen to? I always say Peace Dancer. One, because it's only five minutes long because, mm-hmm. let's be honest, TikTok has changed the world and people can't listen to anything <laughs> for longer than 15 seconds. Uh, <laughs> so say, go and listen to the 25-minute symphony. Yeah, that's not going to yeah. happen. You know, um, but, but also because I... And one of the other things behind Peace Dancer was that I had come to this realisation at that time in my life that I never listened to band music. I didn't put on Mm. a CD and listen to band music. I didn't have a Spotify playlist. In fact, I find it grating. I find it really hard to listen to. But give me the Strauss Windworks and I'll listen to them forever. And and so I really wanted to look into the colour of that and work out what was going on in the colour of that and create a work that you would want to listen to, create something mm-hmm. that was that was beautiful, create something that you thought, wow, that's a really gorgeous thing um, to, that I want to sit down and, and listen to. And I was yeah. thrilled when it was um, uh, the West Vancouver Youth um, uh, wind, wind Ensemble, they played it in Squamish Nation. They actually went oh, and played wow. it in Squamish Nation and the elders there said they called it healing music. Oh, lovely. Isn't that beautiful? Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. 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 There's just, eh. <laughs> I want to say so much because so much of what you said is just, well, especially in Canada right now, very timely. Um, mm-hmm. But especially, um, you know, Kate and I have, are, are, are part of discussions about pieces uh, that are on mm. national syllabi and, and things like that. Mm. And we've been discussing this very topic of, maybe some problematic works that um, used either some tropes <laughs> when it comes yeah. to writing about this music, or maybe it was a, a melody even taken without asking. Um, and just yeah. the idea of, uh, of and I don't want to say the right way, but I, I think how Kate said it was perfect, uh, the most respectful way to collaborate mm-hmm. with, with uh, our first peoples and, and how we can do that. And it's, yeah. It's just so important, and, and to hear how you how you've just so eloquently worded it, and why it's important, and how you did it, and and just that last point, healing music. That's a, like that blows my mind. <laughs> blows my mind to say yeah, this yeah. is how I, this I, is how, yeah. folks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it was you know I I didn't I've not actually met Roy Henry Vickers, but we emailed quite a bit, and mm-hmm. he's so generous, and he's given permission to use imagery from the book. You know, on in the score mm-hmm. itself, I know when. Um, the beautiful Rob Taylor, and I have to—I just have to call him the beautiful Rob Taylor because that's that it, it like just that. goes together. It's accurate, you know. Yeah. It, it, yes, it is. It, it's an official title, <laughs> Doctor Beautiful Rob Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> um, when he premiered it at, at at UBC, I know we had this really beautiful image, um, you know, just up in in the Chan Centre, and just so in- incredibly beautiful and so incredibly important. And mm-hmm. the, the birthing of that piece, because a big part of my process is I have to be there. When I give you the piece, if I've, you've commissioned me for a piece and I send you the score and parts, it, it, we, ain't, we ain't done yet. No, it isn't <laughs> over yet. Uh, I need to come and I need to be there and I need to realise it because I don't write to a formula and I don't write yeah. to things. So I take risks in every piece that I, that I write, which means that it won't be finished and it won't be polished and, sure, some things won't work, you know. Oh, well, oh, dear, let's fix them. And Peace Dancer was like that. When we had this week for the University of British Columbia Summer Summer Institute, I was with Rob for the whole week and we were birthing this piece with um, basically like a high school honours band. It was all these year 11s and 12s who'd come to the Summer Music Institute. 
And I remember on the first day we tried it and Rob went for a walk and I burst into tears and rang my husband back in Australia and said, oh, my God, my beautiful piece, it doesn't work. I thought this was the best I had in me and it doesn't work. Mm. And we we worked on it and there was various iterations and let's grab those parts back, here's more parts, let's try this, let's try that. And Rob, in all of his wisdom, you know, we found that really special spot between composer and conductor where the conductor could say to me, if you really want this sound, we, we're not going to damage the integrity of what you want, but this is what we're going to need to do. Okay, mm-hmm. all right, you know, and uh, this is the sound I really want. Can you as the conductor, can you, you know, make sure that this happens? Mm-hmm. And we, it was just such a, uh, a powerful experience for him, for me, for the students who were there. And it was one of those million-dollar moments where, where we created something that's what I would like to think is, is a pretty unique offering to the wind band repertoire. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, that doesn't come lightly. That doesn't come easily. Uh, and and it, it excites me, the sounds that are, that are in that piece. Yeah, that was fantastic. And um, I, I'm, I'm going to put the, put the link in, in, the, in the, our show notes. Also, just because it's, uh, if you read your program notes, you so, I mean, you, you demand that people buy that book mm. and, and, and <laughs> you need to, and just mm. to see you support, um, support the, you know, the original creator of, of the idea and, and all of that. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's all, it's eye-opening. It's all about and, respect. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Respect, yeah. respect where this story comes from. I'm here. I am as a Caucasian Australian woman, you know, mm-hmm. telling a Squamish nation story. You know, uh, and you know that's that's um, pretty bold of me to do that, uh, and uh, I'm very very pleased that it worked out the way that it does, that the way that it has. Um, yeah. But you know, it's just so important to have that mutual respect, and 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 be humble about the fact that such an ancient culture is willing to share share with you. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely, the the word respect. Is, is one that stuck with me from what you just were set, talking about. And, and, and you set, set such a good example uh, of how to be an advocate for living composers and artists um, from diverse communities, especially um, from a female composer, a feature on your page, uh, on your website and to founding Colorful Music. We're wondering what inspired you to create uh, this initiative and how this work is making impact so far. It was uh, an aha moment and we all need the aha moment, the light bulb moment, the, oh, what? How, can, how have I <laughs> never seen that before? How, how did I not see that? And it was, um, uh, I don't think he'll mind if I say who he is. John Mackey was here in Australia touring um, with a band from New York and uh, I was sitting with him and, I don't know, we were having a drink uh, one, of the, one of the times we were hanging out. And he said, you know, it's really, really fantastic. Because he was saying to me, you know, why do you even have to do your PhD? Because I was in the middle of a PhD. He said, why do you even have to do that? Because you're doing so much already and you're running this and you're running that. Why do you even need that? And I said, because I'm a woman. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm trying to get people to really turn things upside down and really do something different with their pedagogy and really approach things a little bit differently. And I mm-hmm. don't think they're really going to listen to me, A, because I'm a woman, and B, because, you know, I think I need that um, evidence, I need that research clout behind me. 
Mm-hmm. And and he said, yeah, yeah, that's really interesting because, you know, I, I know of, of band directors who absolutely will not pick up, even pick up the score because it's by a woman. They just they mm-hmm. won't even look at it because it's by a woman. And I looked at him and said, pardon? Are you serious? They, they won't even, I thought people would just pick it up and at least look at it. No, if they see it's by a woman, they won't even pick it up. And I thought, wow. And then it started making me think, I'd always thought that my career had been so hard to forge. Well, A, because I'm in Australia. Mm-hmm. B, because um, <laughs> uh, I've been a mum the whole time. When I won the Tekeli competition, I had a baby six weeks later, you know, mm-hmm. like so I, I've sort of had that, that mummy thing happening the whole time yeah. as yeah. well. But also C, I just thought, well, I know that my stuff is different. You know, I know mm-hmm. it is. I know it's really different um, and it's it's... You know, it, it, it is, we're talking about broccoli. It's the broccoli on the plate. You know, it's, it's you know, it's, it's the nutrition, you know, um, when you've got burger and chips and you've got broccoli, you know, mm. and you don't eat broccoli with every meal, you know, and that's just what it is to play a Blackshaw. But I never, <laughs> ever thought that maybe my career had been hindered because of my gender. Yeah. I, I, just, I just didn't think it. Um, and then not too long after that visit, um, uh, I had been looking at the national CBDNA because I'm always, you know, trying to stay abreast of what's going on, what concerts are happening, what are they talking about, what are the topics, what's sort of hot in the scene. And one of the topics, it was the year that Jen Jolie's um, The Eyes of the World Are Upon You was being mm-hmm, premiered yeah. by, um, by Jerry Junkin. And uh, there was uh, a, uh, a panel about we need to play more work by women. And in the whole of the CBDNA conference, there was one work being played by a woman and that was by Jen and Jen was on that panel and the rest were men. Yeah. And I went, this is ridiculous. <sighs> we can talk about this. You can give it lip service as much as you like. When are we going to do something about this? Mm-hmm. So I blasted, you know, had one of those passionate moments and just went <laughs> and blasted something on Facebook. Uh, and, um, and to my surprise, uh, there was a, a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, educator, Margie, who's in North Carolina. And Margie wrote to me a, f- a few weeks after the CBDNA and she said, I just have to write to tell you um, how much you've opened my eyes. You know, she'd read that post, but also mm-hmm. apparently at that CBDNA, a number of band directors were talking about that post. Mm-hmm. And, and talking about it, yeah, she's really kind of right, isn't she? You know, here we are and we're trying to talk about this, but there's no women on the panel, like there's only Jen. We don't actually have women directors even on, on the panel. And here we are saying we've got to do this and no one's playing works by women. That was 2017. That wasn't that long ago. That was 2017. Yeah. So at that point I just decided that I wanted to do something and find works by women, uh, early works, in those early years because I thought let's change the next generation. It's going to be really hard to change the, the, the really stayed, stayed people. Let's, let's target the next generation. Mm-hmm. So, and my love of middle schoolers and, you know, their, their <laughs> sass and their openness, you know, um, I thought they're, they're the ones to target. So I started finding works. I already had a, a few but I had people, you know, um, uh, recommend different people to me. It's how I discovered Kate's stuff. 
and started building this database. It's really hard to build. You know, I tried mm. to reach out to every composer that I possibly could to find out about their works, to get links to it, to make sure that I was doing it respectfully and doing it correctly. Um, mm. I wanted to highlight people. and But I wanted to make sure that there was no excuse, there was absolutely no excuse that you could go, there's the piece, I can listen to it, I can see it, I can contact the composer, I, I, if, and if I don't know where to buy it, I can at least contact the composer and find out how to buy it. And mm -hmm. bang, that all had to be there at my fingertips. I know it's a clunky little database thing, but <laughs> it has had tens and tens of thousands of people have gone yeah. to it and tens yeah. and tens and thousands of band directors and, well, not tens and tens of thousands of band directors, but I know tens and tens and thousands of students have played works by women in the last four years because mm -hmm. of that, that little initiative. Yes. And it's, got a, it's only got about 150 works on there. And that's because I want to hear works that he, that where, where composers still are writing with a good voice. If it mm -hmm. sounds like the stock standard formula, if it sounds like anyone could have written it, I'm not necessarily going to put it on there because yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to promote that idea either. I actually want to hear rhythm first and colour first and texture first and harmony first. I really want all of that there. And what we, what we don't need is... Um, too much choice. I think mm -hmm. making sure that the choice isn't too big, then people don't feel overwhelmed. And that's just that's just my take on it. So, yeah. um, but I'm you know I'm very proud right now that database on my website that's now used by the Midwest Clinic, and when they're encouraging bands to pick pieces, they they actually send them to that resource, and that that thrills me. You know that really yeah. really thrills yeah. me to the bone. So, yeah. Well, it's, it's like um, it's also I was thinking of. Uh, like Caitlin Bove's work with, with And We Were Heard. And a big part yeah. of it is just kind of ease of access, right? So in that yeah. database, is, it's sure it's a great database, but it's so easy to contact the composer. It's so easy to listen to mm. the piece and not have to, yeah. as I've heard you say before, search for 45 minutes on Google and yeah. find nothing. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. And yeah, believe me, resource. when I was researching those women, you'd spend an hour on their website and you'd find the name of something. <laughs> Yeah. And there was nothing, and then you'd write to them, and then you talk a little bit about who you are and what you were doing, and then they send you a score, and then you go, okay, so I don't think you play in the wind band space because this score <laughs> isn't something that a band director is actually mm -hmm. really going to be able to come at. Would yeah. you be willing to do this? Would you, you know, I'm not trying to change the integrity, but you can't really have like a, a fifth grade horn part. Um, with with the second grade euphonium part and and this and this you know would you be and I realize it's custom you, a lot of the time they're customized pieces they're pieces yeah. written for an ensemble and that's totally fair enough because that's that's what I do too but to make it more accessible for the for the global market let, let's think about streamlining it a little bit um, yeah. and you can offer your more difficult horn part as well you know it's still going to fit in there but you know and so it's just been, it's been a lot of correspondence and um, a, a lot of a lot of volunteer hours, but joyful hours because I'm, <laughs> look, you know, look at what it's done. Wow, we yeah. I would never yeah. have thought. And on a personal note, I have to take the opportunity to publicly thank you, Jody, for including my work in this database. And specifically, I think at one point you were featuring a female composer on right on your website. You go to mm -hmm. Jody Blackshaw website and you see somebody else. And mm. for a while, that was me. And mm. still to this day, 
I have conductors and band directors telling me that they first discovered my music because of your website. And in 2017, when all of that started, I was not a full-time composer, but I am now. And I really, really think that your work has contributed to that for me personally. So thank you so much. I could not think of a more worthy recipient of then of that time and energy because you are such a blessing and such a gift to this crazy band world that we live in. <laughs> and I'm just so glad that you're here and doing what you're doing. I'm glad I've to just be bought, in it I've with just you. bought one of your charts for my own band, you know. I, I thought, know. Right, Thank you so yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's great. Oh, I did win, it without win. crying. I really thought I yeah. was. <laughs> yeah, started, I started, but tears it's so dark eyes, you can't so see it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we'll make sure to also include links to uh, to that database and to your Colorful mm. Music initiative as well so that people can check those things out. There's some very exciting things about to happen with Colorful Music. We're, we're mm. about to uh, launch our own. Uh, I've got, now got 17 volunteers helping out with Colourful. Oh, wow. wow. And we've got some, uh, I think I can uh, do, it won't be too much of a spoiler, but we're going to release <laughs> a teaching, uh, we're going to release a teaching package on helping band directors, how they can start on that journey of diversity in their school communities, especially if their school communities are quite traditional. And I have some very gifted and talented and experienced educators working on putting that together. Um, and then the other thing we're doing is that we are, um, doing some some short YouTube clips about a whole range of different composers and um, we're getting them to answer a series of questions and we're, we're putting a spotlight on those and they'll all be free and available on YouTube on a YouTube channel. So That's incredible. Uh, we're just getting that off the ground and, again, just trying to make composers accessible and give them visibility. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, that's so mm. exciting to know mm. that all of that is in the works and yep. we're we're – Looking forward to whenever that all launches. That's that's fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, so we've sadly come to our final question of mm. this wonderful conversation. Um, before we get to this, I'll just let everyone know that we are going to go on to record a short bonus episode with Jody, mm -hmm. and she's got mm. a story to tell us. Dylan and I don't know what it is, and we're oh really gosh, excited. My palms to are sweaty and excitement. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and listeners can go to patreon.com slash bandroompod to hear that bonus episode. So our final question, and, and Jody, you have given us so much advice already, so many amazing words of wisdom and fantastic things for us all to be thinking about. So thank you so much for, for all of all of that you've shared so far. But if you could give one piece of advice to an up and coming composer, what would it be? What would it be? Mm. What would it be in this in this world? Yeah. I think it would be find your voice and stay true to it. Mm -hmm. Find what really speaks from your heart, from the innermost parts of your soul. And whatever that is, even if other people balk at it, stay true to it, explore it, do it with integrity and do it with skill. Make sure you really do it with skill. Make sure whatever you do, you do it to the best of your ability and you really celebrate your own voice. 
Don't write something that you think, oh, I just want to sound like, like, like this person, you know, because why would they play your music when they can just go and play the original? They're, they're not mm -hmm. going to. What, what, what people look for is that uniqueness, that unique voice. It's your filter. It's the way that you hear and feel the world and it comes out in your music. So just trust yourself and go for it. Beautiful. Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. <laughs> I, I, I want to th thank you. I don't have a, an emotional connection like Kate does. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but very early on in the discussion, you mentioned um, your why and why it's so important. And mm -hmm. I was thinking about my, one of my whys. And, and it's, it's the opportunity to speak to phenomenal, and I don't use that word, uh, lightly phenomenal people like you that just continue to push me to want to be better and push others to be better. And if there were more people like you, Jody, in the world, oh, what what could be done? What could be done? So just thank it you so, so much. It would be so amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. But then when you really think about it, it who? <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. but thank it, it you. could be it could be a bit too much. You know, we, we kind of, <laughs> let's calm down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much for this this conversation. It's just been it's just been so great, and and thank you for taking the time in the future to come to the podcast and, yes. and speak with us today. <laughs> no, you're very very welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me, and thanks for reminding me as a tired school teacher at the end of a very busy <laughs> term that yes, these are things I really care about. It's so important mm -hmm. that we continue this connection, continue these conversations and continue to remember in ourselves why we do what we do. So thank you. Very grateful. Thanks so much for spending time with us in the band room. If you want to learn more about anything that we discussed in today's episode, check out the links found on our website, bandroompod.com. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the Bandroom Podcast. Give us a rating and review and tell all your friends about how much you enjoyed it. If you really love the show, maybe you should consider donating to our Patreon page where you can support BRP and get some extra incentives in return. Or you can buy some sweet BRP merch, helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up with what's on the go. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, leave us a comment on our website, bandroompod.com, and your comment might be featured in a future episode of BRP. Stay safe and be well, bandies. Thanks again for stopping by the band room. Mm -hmm.